0: I'm going to be reading from Acts chapter 20. I want to start in verse 7, and I want to go down to verse 16 is what we're going to be looking at this morning. If you could, if you got a Bible, if you could open it up, that would be great. If not, um, the words will be on the screen. If you want to stand with me, please, uh, as we just read the scriptures this morning. On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight, There were many lamps in the upper room where he was gathered, and a young man named Eutychus, sitting at the window, sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked still longer. (laughs) And being overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. Not much of a revival service. But Paul went down and bent over him, and taking him in the arms, said, Do not be alarmed, for his life is in him. And when Paul had gone up and had broken bread and eaten, he conversed with them a long while until daybreak, and so departed. And they took the youth away alive, and were not a little comforted. But going ahead to the ship, we set sail for Asos, intending to take Paul aboard there, for so he had arranged, intending himself to go by land. And when he met us at Asos, we took him on board and went to Mytilene. And sailing from there, we came the following day opposite Chios, and the next day we touched at Samos, and the day after that we went to Miletus. For Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus, so that he might not have to spend time in Asia. For he was hastening to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. This is God's word. You may be seated. Father, what we know not, teach us. What we have not, give us. And what we are not, make us. For Jesus' sake, amen. Title the message this morning, The Soft Pillow of God's Providence. You've heard me say that phrase quite a bit over the course of the last nine or ten months but I've titled it The Soft Pillow of God's Providence. And really what I want us to take a look at as we begin to unpack chapter 20 in Acts is that our lives are not our own. They don't belong to us. If we belong to Christ, we must go where he leads, even if sometimes that means leaving one place that he has called us to for another place that he has prepared for us. And when I look at this passage, and I've preached on this before over the last couple of years, but when I look at this passage of Scripture and Paul's transition from Ephesus into the next phase of his journey, there are a couple of things here that I think are important takeaways for us to have. I feel that they're really critical for us to see. Number one is this. Paul's focus and his deep desire to be in God's will, no matter what the cost, even when it's painful in a transition and it's painful in a goodbye And number two, God's will and God's timing in Paul's life, as well as in ours, is always purposeful. It's never haphazard, and it's never by accident. We may not always understand what's going on in the moment in time, or we may not even like it when it happens. But he knows what he's doing. Therefore, his providence, if we are obedient, we cannot fail if we walk in that. And his providence becomes that soft pillow upon which we have to rest our heads. And that's what we're going to take a look at this morning. Because there's something about this church in Ephesus, something that really captured Paul's heart as the apostle. And it seems to me like no other place that he went as he traveled early in his journeys. Never actually in his travels, if you study the scriptures that we know of, did he stay longer in one place than he did in this place of Ephesus. As near as we can figure out and as near as we can determine with what's being said in the scriptures, he stayed in Ephesus for three years before having to move on. And as a journeying minister and apostle, evangelist, and church planter, three years was the max that we had ever seen. And it seems it took a riot, a day full of chaos in this big city, to dislodge him from his comfort zone where he had been preaching and teaching for so long. And Paul had stayed because he felt led to. There's no mistake about that. Paul always did what the Lord wanted him to do. Sharing the gospel with that part of Asia Minor and building up the church there. If you back up just a little bit into Acts chapter 19 and verses 8 and 10. He entered the synagogue. This was when he first arrived. And for three months he spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation... He withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. This continued for two years, so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. While he was there, as was his custom, Paul made friends. He made friends everywhere he went. We sometimes forget that because we think he was just this super apostle who wrote all kinds of books, but he had a tender heart. And he made friends. He impacted the community, and he grew a church. And we know this because Luke records for us as they are forced out of the city these following verses in verses 4 through verse 6. Sopater, the Berean, son of Pyrrhus, accompanied him. And of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus, Secundus, and Gaius of Derby, and Timothy, and the Asians, Tychicus and Trophimus. These went on ahead and were waiting for us at Troas. But we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread. And in five days we came to them at Troas, where we stayed for seven days. You look at this small list that Luke the historian puts here. And I wonder, I wonder if not being forced out of the city by a riot, if perhaps he would have just stayed there right until the very end. Every one of those names is a human being. We tend to skip over them because they're difficult to read. I can say them not because I'm a pastor but because I spend a lot of time in those lists because every one of those names was a touch point for Paul. They were a friend that he made in the city and they journeyed with him and with Silas and Luke and himself. That's who he means waiting for us along with Timothy. Circumstances, while mundane and rote at the time that we don't always understand, speak to how God moves us and helps us. And helps us to see his call for us. And Paul, it seems, got a sense here as he was unsettled and dislodged in the city that something was about to change in his life. Something was not right. Not because of some divine vision. Not an epiphanal moment where Jesus was on the end of his cot going, Paul, this is what I want from you. That wasn't what was happening here. It was the day-to-day mundane and rote things that happen in life that if we aren't careful, we miss. It was because of an event that in passing seemed like a problem that had been taken care of by the city official who said, you just all need to disperse. But Paul knew, he understood from the very beginning after his Damascus Road experience that his life did not belong to him. he got get knocked off his high horse and he had a whole new view of what the world looked like. You see, if he was to follow Jesus and do what it was Jesus told him to do, it would be wherever and whenever he was sent. His life did not belong to him. And that's what makes transitions always so hard. You go where you are led, and you go where you are sent. Once you are there, the only way anybody finds success in the Lord is to be all in. That's all you do. You never have a thought of leaving or moving on. You fall in love with the people that God puts under your care. And that's what Paul did. That's all he ever did. And that, after all, is what pastoral ministry is all about. Now, anyone who follows Christ needs to understand that their life does not belong to them. They need to know that. That we are all to be obedient to God the Father. That is what I have always said to you. Just because you are not a pastor does not mean that your life then belongs to you. It doesn't. We either believe that Jesus is our Lord or we don't. But pastoral care ministry and that calling is even more glaring and even more so. The heart of a pastor is always for people. Even the most difficult of people that we come across, our heart is for people. And the heart of the pastor is seen in Paul here as he stops at Troas. In the midst of what is to become a major transition for him. And knowing that his time is short, he does what pastors do. He teaches and he does so well into the night because he knows that he doesn't have a whole lot of time. On the first day of the week, when they were gathering together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. And there were many lamps in the upper room where they were gathered. This isn't a bad thing, provided you don't put anybody on the windowsill. This is not a bad thing. It's every preacher's nightmare to speak until you see folks in a semi-comatose state or nostrils. It's never something you want to see. You get people snoring loud enough for all to hear. It's a bit of a distraction, as the pastor teaches. Although those who do that never think that it is them who have put people into that semi-comatose state. They don't understand that the best conversation that they can have is a really good beginning, a really good end. And in the words of George Burns, keep it as close together as possible. That way you have a successful talk. And, and, and that may very well be the case for me at times. I've been told that I talk too much, and I probably do. Speaking until people begin to wonder if the torture is ever going to end, if we have to just sit him down. I don't suspect, however, that that was ever Paul's issue. Whenever Paul spoke, people listened. Self-admittedly, he was not the best speaker. In his letter to the church in Corinth, he even told them that. But I don't think he was ever in the habit of putting people to sleep. And I think that that too is important. What I think happened here is people where he stopped in Troas had the opportunity to hear the Apostle Paul. And they would listen to him until he was done speaking. As long as he talked, people would stay to listen. Why? Because you don't always get the opportunity to hear Paul. And he had a pastor's heart. And that was until, well, the young man by the name of Eutychus falls out of the window. Really a party crasher. It's not a good thing. And a young man named Eutychus was sitting at the window, sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked still longer. And being overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. But Paul went down and bent over him. And taking him in his arms, said, do not be alarmed, for his life is in him. You see, this hiccup here in the midst of a preaching service doesn't seem to affect the overall service. Just in passing, I want to toss this out there for those who even have an inkling to think this way. We cannot use a verse like this to support this being slain in the Spirit and then going to lay hands on people until they all of a sudden get shocked back to life or that it's okay to go on forever until the people that are listening to you can barely stand up and collapse and then somehow think it's the Holy Spirit working on them. That's not what happened here. This poor kid just fell asleep along the service and fell out the window and God in his goodness... Wouldn't allow something like that to ruin the time that people had together. So he was brought back. Paul, having prayed over and helped the boy, goes right back to preaching as if nothing happened for the remainder of the night, just kicked right into it. Building them up, as I'm sure he always did, teaching them about who Jesus is and how important it was to be a follower of him. When Paul had gone up and had broken bread and eaten, that means they all took communion together, he conversed with them in a long while, for a long while until daybreak and so departed. And they took the youth away alive, and they were not a little bit comforted. Why? Why does Paul do that? Because Paul's a pastor. That's why. No matter where he had to stop, that's just what he did. It's a pastor's heart. We see that. Even as he struggles in the moment with what God is doing inside of him and the changes and transitions that he knows are coming, that he has to face, he seeks, first and foremost, to serve and to teach. Because that is what he's called to do. You see, Paul, while knowing that he is at the end of one journey, an assignment, is actually preparing for what is next. Even though he feels like he's being pulled in different directions. And one of the most important verses I've preached on this many times in this entire chapter is often overlooked because it's just a simple logistical statement. Maybe the binary minds in here will get it. But it was just, again, a simple logistical statement by the historian Luke but it is, in my estimation, the hinge of this entire chapter. And it's this. But going ahead to the ship, we set sail for Asos, intending to take Paul aboard there. For so he had arranged, intending himself to go by land. Now we just think that's a housekeeping thing where we check that off. Okay, yeah, so what? Paul went by land. No. no. You see, Paul, intending himself to go by land, in other words, what was he doing? He was getting alone. He needed to sort things out. And in getting alone, he sought the Lord to say, What is it you're doing? What is next? If we read between the lines, not add to Scripture, but we read between the lines and understand that He's a human being trying to walk through these things, trying to figure out what God's doing, the best thing to do is to put everybody on a boat and take the journey yourself from point A to point B to sort these things out in your mind. So He can get clarification and affirmation about the next steps that He's to take, because He doesn't have all the answers. He didn't stay in the midst of things as he sorts out the events which have been happening and the circumstances that he found himself in. He separates himself. He gets alone with the Lord. And in doing so, he is assured by God that he is to take the next step in that journey that he has that God has called him to. And we'll see in the next couple of weeks just how assured he was in God's will, even though that meant leaving a people and a place that he loved albeit for another place and a people that he also loved, and that was Jerusalem. The scary thing about his story was that there was a whole bunch of trouble that would come with it. But rest assured, in the midst of what he knew would be a whole bunch of trouble, he was right in the middle of God's will. He understood that. And when I arrived here almost six years ago, I was assured of two things. Well, three actually that I was a lot smarter then than I am now. Let's start there. Second, that I was called by God to be your pastor. There was no doubt about that. And two, or three, (laughs) that I had absolutely no intention of leaving. None whatsoever. It's just the way we have to do things. Any pastor worth their weight in Saul understands, and has to know these things. Paul knew them. But he also knew, as I do, that my life doesn't belong to me. And the struggle that Lisa and I have been having is that it has come time for Lisa and I to step away and make a transition and step into another position. It's with deep and mixed emotions, but yet at the same time in the full confidence of God that that's what we're to do and we've been wrestling with this for some time and if you forgive me if I don't look up for a minute because I just two days in a row lord We've been wrestling with this for some time and we've discovered that in the midst of a lot of things that God is showing us in our life and a lot of things that have been going on in our life, we understand that it is time and that we were being released. We, both Lisa and I, and I as a pastor, have not nor will we ever take such decisions lightly. And we also make sure that we get alone with the Lord seeking His face looking at the circumstances and stepping into his will. Because, again, we don't have Jesus sitting on the end of our bed trying to figure these things out. In my life, I have never been released to go anywhere but here in Church of the Rock in St. Albans, Vermont. And when the opportunity actually opened up just over two years ago to go back to Church of the Rock, Lisa and I felt absolutely no pull to go, never even considered it. We simply knew that we had things that we needed to do here and they went in another direction doing what it was they were going to do and it never crossed our minds again. And for the last nine or ten months we've been wrestling with a whole bunch of different things but when Pastor Roland announced his retirement this fall right at the end of August, beginning of September the Lord was already working on Lisa and I through circumstances in our lives that caused us to prayerfully see if perhaps now was the time and that move was upon us. We just didn't know. Forgive me, I'm sorry. It was clear to us that that was the time And we've been wrestling in prayer for His will, not because of lack of clarity, but because we wanted assurance and we wanted affirmation. We we don't do these things just on a arc or on a whim. He's always faithful, and in all things and in His providence, we have always had a soft pillow on which to rest our heads. Now I know, and I've shared this with staff, and I've shared this with the leaders. I know that as a pastor and as a leader that my decisions impact so many more people than just myself and my immediate family. I knew that even when I came here. For when I left Church of the Rock and I made the announcement that we were leaving, I was reminded, because I had completely forgotten in my daftness, that four families got up and walked out. They were upset. So I understand deeply that the decisions that I make impact more people than just myself. And I know that that's difficult. I knew that when I came here, and I am even more convinced of that now that it's time for us to step away and leave. I don't take it lightly, and Lisa and I have been very prayerful about this, but I realize, as Paul had, that our lives don't belong to us. And in light of that, in order to be the most successful that we have to be, all in where we are until we aren't. Every one of you here and those of you who aren't here have captured my heart. I'm glad I allowed myself more time. You have captured my heart in more ways than you will ever know. This side of eternity. And that, sadly, and joyously, is the essence and the calling of pastoral care ministry. And you will always have my heart. We can't be the pastors we're supposed to be if we don't fall in love with the people we serve. We just can't do it. It's God's timing for us to move on and take on a new task of lead pastor in St. Albans. I submitted my resignation to the leadership effective here the 31st of this month. God knows the future. He knows our call and our duty is prayer and obedience to what he has called us to. And for the next couple weeks, I'd like us to unpack the rest of this chapter and we're going to journey in this text to learn a whole bunch of things, not least of which is that you have a great group of leaders here who also have your hearts and your best interests in mind. Almost a month ago, I called the leadership into my office because one of the things I wanted to do, and now I'm completely off script, but I've got time. One of the things that I wanted to do that was very unsettling for me, but I knew that it needed to happen because I talked with Pastor Marquardt, was that before I even finished the process... I needed to let my leadership team here know what it was the Lord was doing in my heart because our challenge was always to create health, to create trust, to create unity. And the last thing that I would ever want is to be somewhere because they trusted me enough. If I had said to them, I just need a week's vacation and I need a couple weeks away, they would have said to me, fine, and they would have never given it a second thought. That's the trust that we built. And I couldn't have them flat-footed if somebody here in this congregation came to them and said, I heard that Pastor Mike is doing A. Do you know anything about it? And have one of the leaders in this church who serve you with everything that they are have to look at you and go, I don't have any idea. So I had to go to them and tell them before I even started the, the candidating process in order that they would be able to, if somebody heard to have a conversation with you in a good, healthy, honest way because that's how it needs to happen. And they have been a huge blessing to Lisa and I in full support of us in prayer, understanding, liking, probably not. And I understand that as well. That's why I say it's with mixed emotions but in the full confidence of God that that's what we have going on. It's very difficult to step into a new role. But as Lisa and I prepare ourselves for going forward in letting the leadership team know almost a month ago that we would be transitioning out or possibly. See, that was the other thing. If they told me no. And here's the beauty of your leaders here. They looked at me sad, all all upset, all the things that they were, and they looked at me and they said, that was not something I needed to worry about. And that speaks to the heart of the leaders in this church. That speaks to the heart of the man and woman who has served you faithfully as elders in this church and as deacons in this church. And so I want to leave them in your care. We'll unpack this. A couple of things that I want to just share with you that I think that I can share with you. Um, I will be available. I know for Lisa and I, this has been a process for us. We have been walking through this for some time. Um, I am not stupid enough to actually think that every single one of you sitting here today didn't know this was coming. We live in a small world. But for those of you who didn't know until this morning, I know that this is right now thing that we need to process. I want to make myself available to people, If you want to have a conversation, and these two things, actually, three things I want to leave with you. First off, when God places a call on a pastor's life, as I said, our life doesn't belong to us. As a presbyter, I see so many churches just train wreck into a wall. That's not even happening here, not even remotely close. The leadership team that you have here is already beginning the process of stepping forward. Even though it's the initial phases, they're already starting that. And I understand that that then becomes a little bit difficult as we move forward in that way. But that search is already being prepared for what's next. And for Lisa and I, just to share with you, I don't want to give all of the details because it has nothing to do with you folks. None. That too is also something that always comes up in churches when pastors leave. I would rather leave on a high note than have you running me out on a rail. But so many things we have been watching over the course of the last nine months or so. Um, With the incident with our daughter-in-law that really sent the family into crisis. With Lisa then leaving her job over a year ago because we thought that she was going to be able to spend more time here only to find out that the crisis that we had with our daughter-in-law um, caused Lisa to have to spend far more time with the grandkids and helping everybody there. That, that tore me being as far away as I was trying to figure out how to make that work to thinking in 2019 at the beginning that we were going to put our house in the market again and I could finally be closer. I shared with somebody this week that last year I put 48,000 miles on my car in order to be able to do what I do. I'm not saying that for any other reason, but that's just, we wanted to be closer, but we felt that we shouldn't do that. And then the pieces fell together with our granddaughters and a whole bunch of other things that just all came together. And we just began to feel that perhaps it was time. And that's just where we are. You are in good hands. I am here to have as many conversations as possible throughout this month. We are going to unpack Acts chapter 20 over the course of the next two weeks. I would suggest you get in there for homework because I am still your pastor. I probably always will be and you need to be in the word. It's to hear that I go. It's to hear that I would suggest that you go and take a look at how Paul and the elders deal with transition. Um, Dave, I'd ask you to stop recording right now if you would please.